This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Andrew Ledman. And I'm Ryan Bonaparte. And we're here to cover two Purdue basketball games. The first one on the road at Ohio State. And then the second one sort of on the road, but technically I think categorized as a neutral site game at the Palestra in Philadelphia against Penn State. So we got two uh, pretty important Big Ten games we're going to cover. But before we get into that, Ryan, I've got a question for you. We haven't done one of these in a little while, so are you prepared? Ooh, first one of the year? Uh, yeah, first one of the new year, for sure. For sure. All right, let's okay. do it. Okay, so I don't know about you, uh, but growing up I had a lot of video games, a lot, a lot of different video game systems, so I know you are a lot younger than me, uh, so my <laughs> question to you is this, what was the first video game system you had, and what was your favorite game for that system? First system I had that I can remember was N64. Okay, excellent choice. Mm-hmm. And I would say my favorite game on that was Pokemon Stadium. Oh, you, you let me down. You let me down. Not even like GoldenEye or Mario Kart or Star Fox. GoldenEye was... I wasn't allowed to play GoldenEye, the story. I was allowed to play the multiplayer with my older brother. Okay. That was it. I was just a little too young for that. Okay. I guess that makes sense. I mean, there's a lot of killing. A lot of killing. Mm-hmm. A lot of killing it. Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll grant you the N64 rock-solid system, one of the best. Um, for me, the first one I remember having was the original Nintendo. Uh, I mean, okay. the NES. 
And, gosh, favorite game. I'm trying to think. There were so many good ones. But I think maybe Mario 3. Uh, okay. Mario 3, top-notch. Or else uh, maybe Punch-Out with uh, Mike Tyson. But I never, ever was able to beat that game. I could never beat Mike Tyson. Or mm-hmm. Mr. Dream, if you didn't have the Mike Tyson Punch-Out. Um, but, okay. man, that guy was unbeatable. Have you ever played the original Punch-Out? I have not played it, but I know all about it. I know a lot of people are not happy playing against Mike Tyson. No, it's, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. One time, uh, my oldest brother and I, he had an emulator on his computer um, so mm-hmm. you could play all these old Nintendo games. And we had the code to get to Mike Tyson because we'd gotten all the way to that point And, you know, we mm-hmm. just kept getting our asses handed to us, got knocked out. <laughs> and we just played it like over and over just getting to that level with the code and could never ever beat him um it's just it i don't think it's something i'll ever do that that and uh the game battletoads probably two of the hardest video games uh i've ever played but i'll tell you the the regular nes was a banger you know you've got battletoads mm-hmm. you've got contra uh punch out paperboy was very good uh all the mario <laughs> games just a really, really good system. Uh, you got Double Dribble, uh, Blades of Steel. Those were some good sports games, but, you know, uh, I don't have a, as much time for video games these days as I would like, uh, but mm-hmm. I do still have my Nintendo Switch set up upstairs. And then all my, I actually have my all my old school video games up in uh, my office. So I've got a Nintendo, a Super okay. Nintendo, Sega, N64, and a PlayStation 2 up there. Okay. I did have a Super Nintendo at my grandparents' house, so very nice. play. But I actually I need to change my answer because I completely forgot the game that I was glued to as a child. Okay. It was Ocarina of Time. Oh yes. Just excellent choice. Excellent choice. We had the binder and everything, the like two inch thick binder yeah. of the walkthrough. Yeah. All in black and white from the copy mat. And, oh good. Um just yep that was that was it my dad was the first one in the family to beat it that i can recall and he actually has had has he's lost it since i think but he had a polaroid of the final screen of <laughs> where you're looking through the window in the uh, courtyard and he is to this day that's a very proud moment for him yeah that was that was a tough game uh, especially the water temple, if I'm remembering correctly, the yes. water temple was very hard. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I the the Zelda game for Nintendo Switch, Breath of the Wild, is fantastic. Might be the best Zelda mm-hmm. game out there. So if anybody is a Zelda fan and has not played that one, definitely uh, give it a play. And they're actually making a sequel, so uh, that I think is supposed mm-hmm. to come out next year. So should be good. Um, so there we go. There's a, a little lighthearted stuff before we get into the Big Ten stuff. But uh, always good to get to know our hosts a little bit better. So first game, Purdue traveled to Ohio State. Ohio State was at the time ranked 24th, and uh, it was a 7 p.m. tip-off in Columbus. Uh, Ryan, you wrote the game wrap for us for this one, so kind of give me your your 30,000 feet overview of this game. Yeah, so coming into the game, it was coming off of the Rutgers loss. We had to figure out what this team was made of they had not lost yet so this is the first time they had a chance to bounce back yeah and and with with a young start off pretty 
with a young team like this, you just never know how it's going to go. I mean, it's the first real taste of adversity. Exactly. And for the first about 12 minutes in this game, it did not look like it. They look like a young team. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, they couldn't get shots to fall. They were turning the ball over. It didn't look too pretty. So eventually Ohio State got out to a 12-point lead, I believe, was their maximum with about 8 to 10 minutes left. And then Purdue finally started hitting threes. So they were able to hit three straight while being down by nine and tied the game. Um, and uh, Ohio State hit a three to end the half, yeah. and they went into the half down by three. But it was just so positive of a momentum for Purdue. Going into halftime, it felt like they had just completely bounced back after a really struggling for the first 10 to 12 minutes. Yeah, I mean, it, it felt miraculous that Purdue was only down three going into the half and had clawed their way back after, as you said, you know, playing very poorly, poorly for the first 10 or so minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. And then... You know, Ohio State is is no slouch. They've got a lot of good guys on that team. Um, I don't know if you might have heard this guy's name called during the game. Uh, Sensabaugh, you know, he's a freshman. Gus Johnson told us that about 300 times during this game. Yeah, kind of like Purdue was number one at that time. Uh, for now, yeah. It's like, yeah. we get it, Gus. We know we lost. <laughs> don't have to but... tell us. Don't have to tell us a bunch of times, but we'll we'll have we'll be forced to listen, I guess. Yeah, and also it, we can't not mention the fact that Zed Key did get hurt in that first half. Yes. He did not return the rest of the game. He went up for a rebound in front of Zach Eady, and Zach Eady, uh they collided, and he hurt his shoulder. So I believe they said it was a strange shoulder on the broadcast. So yeah. he was out after only four minutes of play. So that might have changed up there. Yeah, it changed up their lineups for sure, but I don't really know if it changed their game plan because they went with... Um, Akpara, right? Akpara, yeah. And, I mean, they're still both big guys, but when you're going up against Zach Eady, you kind of need more and more bodies. Yeah. So, I'll tell you, it was it difficult. It was a little confusing at first, knowing that their big guy was named Zed Key, and we have Zach <laughs> Eady. And yeah. Gus Johnson can talk very fast sometimes. So when he was saying Zach Eady <laughs> and Zed Key, and it was like, who are you? T- you you got to enunciate here and take a breath, uh, Gus, because I'm not sure which guy you're talking about. Uh, but yeah, it was it was very unfortunate for Ohio State that Zed Key did uh, you know injure his shoulder. Um, I've not seen an update on if he is uh, coming back in their next game or how he's doing, but we obviously wish him the best. So Purdue goes into halftime down three. And I don't know if you saw um, the article that uh, came out. I think it might have been in the JNC talking about what Painter did after halftime where he took, uh, I believe, was it Fletcher Lawyer? He took him, or was it Braden Smith? Took him out of uh, the starting lineup and instead put in David Jenkins Jr. And he talked about it being a a double positive. Yeah, Uh, a double positive is in the Journal and Courier. Talks about how, you know, when you're when you're taking out a guy who's been a starter and for the second half, your goal is to like motivate him to say, you know, you I believe in you, I trust you, but you gotta take a minute, compose yourself and get back out there. Um it was Fletcher Lawyer, yeah. Because he was 0 for okay. six and had four turnovers in the first half. 
So in his mm-hmm. place, he put in David's, David Jenkins Jr. Um, and Painter said, you know, when you do something like that, you're always hoping for the double positive. You hope that the guy who you put in his place, uh, you know, looks at it as a great opportunity and plays well, and that the guy who you benched comes back in and, you know, takes the time, composes himself, uh, and plays how you know he can play. And that certainly worked out in Purdue's favor in this game because in the second half, both of those guys played really well. Yeah, they did. Um it was nice to see David Jenkins actually make shots. I mean, if you if he's shooting with less than three seconds on the shot clock, it seems to be automatic with yeah, him now. Yeah, it's like his it's like his sweet spot. Mm-hmm. So I definitely you don't want that to be his what he's known for, but you'll definitely take it. He I mean, he is a clutch shooter. So um but he went three for three from beyond the arc. In the second half, or in the game, I believe one of them was in the first half, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, he so finished nine points, and he's contributing. That's what you want out of him, and it's it's not enough just to be the person who takes the ball up, gives it off, and then does nothing else. David Jenkins is an efficient scorer. He has scored over. I believe 1,800 points in his career. Yeah, that sounds so right. So he's more than capable. So to get that production out of him is what we all have been wanting throughout the season. And hopefully that's kind of the turnaround for him uh, or the spark that gets him going. Yeah, yeah, that would be great to have because as good as guys like Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith have played, you know, they are still freshmen, so you wonder about the freshman wall. You wonder how they're going to hold up as the Big Ten season grinds on. So as as, as long as you can make the bench uh, a strong point for this Purdue team, uh, the better it will be. So, you know, the second half was a wild back and forth, just like a lot of Purdue games have been recently. Um, you mm-hmm. know, and the talk just talk about the last, you know, minute and a half or two minutes and everything that we saw from... Purdue taking a lead to the strange last possession that I guess was stopped by Purdue's defense. Um, Ohio State <laughs> really just couldn't get anything going on their last possession. Yeah, so about 40 seconds left in the game, um, Ohio State made it a four-point game. So Purdue with 40 seconds goes down, gets the ball to Zach Eady, and he goes up and does his patented jump hook and our hook shot gets it to go. Purdue's down by two with, I think, 20 seconds left, somewhere around there. So Purdue has the choice to either foul or go for the steal because that's the announcer's dream is to talk about this, where you can only <laughs> get, you can go for two. You don't have to go for yeah, three you here. you don't need a three here. They can go exactly. for a quick two. Exactly, and that's what Purdue did. So instead of fouling on the inbound, they forced the ball into – the death corner that everyone knows where the baseline is the third defender and the Ohio state guard tried to pass it to uh, pass it along the baseline. And Ethan Morton got his hands in there and stole the ball, which was, I I mean, just unbelievable. The fact that you actually Mm -hmm. get the steal in that situation. It is so rare uh, because as you said, they threw it in the corner of death, the death corner where you never want to inbound the ball because he was coming to the ball, I believe. So his momentum is already carrying him the wrong direction. And right. Purdue is just 
you know, swarms him at that moment, and Ethan Morton was able to just get his hands on the ball and just take it away. Uh, it was it was absolutely incredible that Purdue was able to do that because it really looked like the game might have been lost. Yeah, and someone on Twitter actually did mention this oh, was and, the and, play from Hoosiers. Oh, I do want to correct you. Purdue was down one at that point, not two. Correct. Yes. Okay. Um, and then so Purdue gets the steal. And they go through their possession on after a timeout, and it's a dump in to Zach Eady where if he's doubled, he can pass it right back out to Fletcher Lawyer, or if he's not, he can go up and uh, per- put Purdue up by one with a two-point shot. He was doubled, he gave the ball to Fletcher Lawyer, and Fletcher Lawyer just absolutely drained it. Yeah, so, just absolutely I mean, clutch. Mm-hmm, absolutely, and that's the second game in a row that Fletcher Lawyer had a clutch basket at the end of the game. Yeah, this and, time. And, and we were all hoping it worked better than the game against Rutgers. Exactly, so Purdue's up by two, and Ohio State's going down the court, and just, they take a timeout with eight seconds left, something around there. You know, not too much time, but enough to drop a play still. And they get the ball to sense a ball, and he just can't really do much with it. Uh, Braden Smith pokes the ball free at one point for to waste a couple seconds off yeah. the clock. And it just, it looked awkward. Yeah. And... He was, he was like facing the sideline instead of the basket. He was like trying to get around, mm-hmm. like maybe a screen was coming, but there was just right. nothing seemed to work out for them on that, on that play. And, you know, kudos to Purdue, I suppose, but I'm not sure how much Purdue really did there other than, you know, you know, truly man up because it really looked like Ohio state was just a little bit lost. Right. And I mean, he forced up a shot. He got a shot off, but I mean, it didn't, it hit all backboard. Yeah. It was, it was nothing, not even close. No. Yeah. So it was back and forth and you love to see the scrappiness of the Purdue team just to fight their way into a victory. And, because these freshmen are making a world of difference for Purdue, mm-hmm. and it's great to see. Yeah. Yeah, and is this, correct me if I'm wrong, but is this the third straight uh, Ohio State game on the road where Purdue has won with a last-second three? Because... I believe so, because uh, Jaden Ivey did, Ivey it, did twice. it twice. Yeah, Jaden yeah. Ivey did it twice, back-to-back years. Uh, and then, of course... Uh, Fletcher Lawyer did it this time. So I believe it is the third straight uh, game at Ohio State where Purdue has won uh, on a three in the closing seconds, which it must be the opposite, you know, or the same way that we feel about Rutgers. Ohio State must feel about us. Yeah. I know, yeah, because also Jaden Ivey did it at Mackey as well. Okay, okay. So maybe not all three on the road, but three games against Ohio Mm -hmm. State. Yeah, I want to. They may have only played once last year. Yeah, that could be. That could be. So I think it's three straight times. But either way, I mean, having a good time against this opponent. So yeah, Ohio State doesn't scare Purdue athletics. We know that. (laughs) Yes, it's it's always been true. So, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, just a great win. Go on the road. Uh, It's a it's a quad one win. In the net, it looks good in Ken Palm, which helps, you know, seating, helps ranking, helps everything. Um, one of the best things about this game is Purdue really did find their three-point shooting again. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, even if they started a little rough, and we talked about Fletcher Lawyer was 
um, I think 0 for 6 in the first half. He wound up 3 for 6, so he was 3 for 3 in the second half. Uh, but overall, Purdue uh, was, I'm trying to pull it up, 13 of 31. Not yeah. the, you know not the best in the world, not the best we've seen them shoot, but overall you know forty one percent. You love that, so uh, absolutely. A, a lot of missed shots. Lawyer you know had that really bad first half, but as I talked about, Painter got the double positive with with Lawyer having a good second half, as well as David Jenkins Jr. playing a good second half to start. So um, Purdue looked really good uh, for a lot of the game something that we hadn't seen them do, at least from deep. And then, you know, Zach Eady, as always, got his <laughs> 16 points, 11 rebounds. Um, didn't have anything that really, like, you know, stood out. It was just a normal Zach Eady game where you can trust him to get a bucket, you can trust him to make the right play. I mean, four assists, <laughs> four assists as well. So just another all-around great game for a guy who clearly uh, at this point in the year is the front runner for basically every major uh, college basketball award. And how sad is it? That's a bad game for Zach Eady. Right? Yeah. 16-11 is bad for him. I mean, it's that's just so impressive on his end. Just that he the the bar's so high. I mean, he shot six of eleven. And that's awful for him shooting the ball. Yeah. If he's not shooting 75%, it's a bad night for him. And, uh, that, uh it's, it's a plethora. It's, yeah. Of, uh, he, he's just got everything going right now. And, you know, playing as many minutes as he does, it is amazing that he's kept this pace up. And we just really hope that he can continue it throughout the rest of the Big Ten. Because, as I said earlier, Big Ten season, incredibly hard, incredibly difficult, quite the grind. And, you know, each week you think, oh, maybe we'll get a breath next week. But, you know, you're back on the road. You're playing two games a week. You're playing three games a week. So, you know, it's the Big Ten season is never easy. But Purdue found a way to win one on the road. So after this game, they were 3-1 and one in conference with their only loss to Rutgers. So um, that is it for this Ohio State game. We're going to take a break, come back, and talk about Purdue's game against Penn State at the Palestra in Philadelphia. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back. So, Purdue, after winning on the road at Ohio State, decided to play what technically is characterized as a neutral court game, but I believe that might change uh, later on, against Penn State in Philadelphia at the Palestra. So, before we get too deep into the game, um, Ryan, I want to ask you this. Did you know anything about the Palestra? Uh, nope. 
I knew it was in Philadelphia. Yeah. I honestly didn't really either. Uh, I had heard of it, I think, vaguely in the past. I knew that it was a really old arena. Uh, but, you know, some friends of mine were like, oh, I've always wanted to come to a game here. It's on my bucket list. And I'm like, hmm. okay. And I, I mean, if you're if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you'll know that uh, basketball arenas, football stadiums, don't really do a whole lot for me. I don't walk into arenas and, and just get overwhelmed by emotion. Um, I, I just don't feel it with with really any arena. I mean, obviously I love Mackie, so maybe maybe that's the exception, but that's just because it is my team's arena, you know. It's a little different. So um, I was lucky enough to uh, get a credential for this game and went to Philly, uh, took the two-hour drive over to Philadelphia and got there... Uh, right after the the gates opened around 4:30 and i mean it is it's it's cool arena um it's got the you know the field house look on the outside so it's kind of just doesn't look like a basketball arena when you walk up to it but it, maybe it's just because i grew up in the state of indiana uh maybe it's because i went to Connorsville high school that had spartan bowl that sat uh you know 5000 some and the palestra seats just over 8000 um I mean, it's a it's a fine place to watch a basketball game, great sight lines, everything else like that, but just because an arena is old, I, I don't feel like I need to have any reverence for it. Um, I don't know. I mean, it was a fine, like I said, it was a fine place to watch a game, and the crowd was good, uh, but that's because it was in Philadelphia. If you take this crowd and put them in State College, you wouldn't have sold this many tickets. You would have had maybe 6,000 in the stands instead of the 8,000 at the Palestra, so... Uh, I don't know. It was a fun game to attend. I was glad I went. I can say I've seen a game at the Palestra, but I don't think there's anything that really knocked my socks off uh, about the arena or or the venue in in general. And and maybe I'm maybe that's just me. I mean, are you a guy who walks into a stadium or arena and and gets chills or or is like, wow, I've always wanted to see a game I here? I can with football stadiums, not so much basketball because. Growing up in Indiana, it's like second hat. I mean, you go to these high school gyms that are seating six, seven thousand. It's it's second nature mm-hmm. to you. But then you go to a football stadium that's seating a hundred and ten. Yeah, that that's a little bit of a spectacle. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I so I went to a game a few years back at uh, mm-hmm. Michigan in the Big House. And I mean that was that was pretty cool to see. I mean it was you know it's a giant giant stadium, but uh, again it, it, I didn't walk in and say oh my gosh I'm gonna remember right. this moment. You know this is the most beautiful grass I've ever seen. Like uh, have you seen the movie we don't Rudy? have the Rudy moment moment? Yeah, where the where the dad walks in and he's like these this is the most beautiful sight these eyes have ever seen, yeah. and he starts oh. crying, and the son's like <laughs> come on dad. I'm the son yeah. in that scenario. He's like, just let's go to our seats, man. It's just a stadium. Um, so it, in the arena, it was easily, I mean, at most 15% Purdue fans. Uh, the rest was, was Penn State. And you could tell just by the color because most of the Penn State fans mm-hmm. were wearing white. Um, the students were behind one of the baskets. And they made their presence known. I mean, it, it was... It was very loud and very hostile environment toward Purdue, which is good for this team. Um, you know, it's good for them to face this kind of challenge against the Penn State team that is now coached by Micah Shrewsbury, uh, former Boston Celtics and, of course, two-time Purdue assistant. So 
he does a good job. And so you know this was going to be a Penn State team that was well-coached and was disciplined, and they lived up to that, I think, and um, more. Quick question. Was it as hot in there as the announcers made it out to be? Because they were – Robbie Hummel actually took his <laughs> jacket off after halftime. That's that's what I saw after I got home. I'll say it was – we were um, – so there's very limited uh, media seating at, at the, like, court level. Um, so – the majority of the people who are uh, covering the game sit up in in the very top, and so that's where I was. I did think it was a, a little warm, uh, but nothing like it must have been okay. down near them. Uh, of course, it wasn't as crowded up where we are um, because you know it was just media seating and it's like fifteen people. Whereas it, as I walked around the arena, I mean, most of it is bench seating. It's not all bench seating. Um, but I mean, they were just, people were just crammed into those seats. So I would imagine if you were in those beach bench sections, it was probably very, very toasty. Uh, and, and I, Matt Painter, when he came in through the press conference, he was sweating bullets, uh, up there and it, that's not normally how he looks after a game. So it must've been much hotter there around Matt the bench Painter didn't as well. get the water shower in this one. Uh, maybe <laughs> after, but uh, I didn't see it as as he came into the to yeah, the press okay. conference. Yeah. So uh, you know, first half in this game was was a tough one for Purdue. I mean, it was a lot like the Ohio State game, and Purdue had two guys who were you know going back and forth versus two guys Penn State had going back and forth, scoring the majority of their points. Um, and for Purdue, that was Braden Smith and Zach Eady, and for Penn State, it was Lundy and Pickett. And in the first half, Purdue just could not stop Pickett. He was hitting everything. You know, he hit three three-pointers in the first half, and he hit three three-pointers all in the month of December. And he played five games in December, only hit three three-pointers in five games, hit three of them in the first yeah, half. Yeah, and they were Purdue. ludicrous shots. I, I believe he banked two yes. of them, and one was just completely yeah. hand-in-your-face defense. And not to mention, mm-hmm. he had two, like, finger rolls that were just circus shots. They called yeah. them YMCA shots on the broadcast. I mean, <laughs> whatever he shot, he got in the first half. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, not to take anything away from him, of course. I mean, he's incredibly talented. He's mm-hmm. a very good player. But you look at some of those shots, and you understand why in the post game, uh, you know, Zach Eady said it, and Matt Painter said it as well. Even though they went into halftime down, I believe, six, they didn't feel bad about where they were because they all felt, and and I think you know the eye test backs it up, that Penn State was just hitting some ridiculous shots. It wasn't because Purdue's defense was bad. It was you know that they're hitting tough shots, and sometimes that happens. Um, so you didn't feel bad about that if you were Purdue uh, defensively. So... That gave them some hope going into the locker room. Absolutely, and yeah, you knew water was going to eventually find its level in this game, and it was pretty much just the Zach Eady and Braden Smith show, as you mentioned in the first half for Purdue. I mean, it was either Zach Eady gets into the post, and for some reason, Penn State decided not to double Zach Eady in this game, and he took advantage of it. I mean... Every time he would get to that right hook, and it was just automatic, it seemed like. And then... Yeah, yeah, I assume... Well, and oh, then they found out, okay, we can't dump the ball into Zach Eady. They'll make it difficult for that. 
okay, we'll have Braden Smith drive the lane and then throw up an oop. That's all they had to do. Um, the lob, I believe, happened for Zach Eady four different times, and it was just – it was one of two plays, and it was just simple basketball for Purdue. Sounding. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Purdue goes into halftime down six – come back out of the second half and they just looked like mm-hmm. a completely different team. Um you know, it was it was only 1 minute I believe in 34 seconds um from when they came out of the second half to down 6 to taking the lead and never looking back. It was 1 minute and 34 mm-hmm. seconds of game time. Um Fletcher Lawyer had hit two threes in that time. Zach Eady uh added a bucket. And suddenly the six-point lead was gone. Purdue was up two. And then after that, it was just off to the races. Um, as you said, Braden Smith with the pick and roll uh, and Edie, he was just finding Edie on great shots. He was hitting pull-ups. He was hitting threes himself. Um, you know, Fletcher Lawyer just absolutely had a fantastic game. The second half was just great for everyone all around. Um, you know, the defensive intensity was ramped up. Ethan Morton forced the turnover in the early minutes. Uh, guys like Brandon Newman were diving all over the floor. Uh, Lawyer hit the floor. Smith hit the floor. So really, I mean, the second half was the best Purdue's looked in in quite a while. I, I said it was the best they've Absolutely. looked since Portland. Yep. And so Purdue had a 19-5 to run at one point in the second half. And just to show you how well they did defensively, you know, they allowed 37 points in the first half. Through the first 10 minutes of the second half, so fully one half of the second half, they had allowed just mm-hmm. nine oh. points. So they, they you know, locked down on defense after allowing 37 in the first half, only allowed 26 in the second. So anytime you can do that, you know you're going to have a good second half. Uh, and Purdue was just able to clamp down on a Penn State team who had really played well up until this point, who really kind of been a surprising team so far in the Big Ten. And this was this was a game that was a prime upset opportunity for Penn yeah, State. And you saw it really just Purdue decided to put their two best defenders on Seth Lundy and Jalen Pickett. It was as simple as that. If Purdue was in a high pick and roll, they would not switch Zach Eady onto Jalen Pickett. It was... That's the matchup that they had exploited in the first half, and it wasn't allowed. You saw it with Ethan Morton was all over the court, and when Ethan Morton went off, it was Brandon Newman who came on and was that defender. It was lateral quickness was just on point in this game, and the defense is really what was the catalyst. I mean, there were even some points where some turnovers that should have been turnovers weren't forced and led to some Penn State points. I think that's the first basket they had in the second half was off of a what should have been a Purdue turnover that just ended up getting kicked out for a three. So, I mean, like, little things like that, and if that's really all the damage that's happening, you're in a good spot. I mean, it got to the point where Coach Shrewsbury was just so fed up with everything in the game he got i believe the second technical of his coaching career yeah so yeah purdue did a really good job at making everyone uh unhappy on the penn state side in the second half nag yeah and 
in the uh, in the post game press conference, Shrewsbury kind of went off on the officials and just Big Ten officiating in general. And I, I retweeted it on our account, but I thought he made some really good points. And I thought it was interesting. He said when he was uh, playing the game against Michigan, the officials called him by the wrong name, or at least one official, I should say, uh, didn't even know his name. And he's like, that's just not professional. You know, we've got to do better as a conference. Um, talking about how games are officiated differently, game to game or half to half. And they really need to determine what the point is of Big Ten officiating. Um, and he, he's just very upset by the inconsistency. And I, I think he's yeah, got an that, excellent and point. You really want it just to be consistent with what they're going to face in yeah. the tournament. Like, both teams combined to shoot 10 free throws in this game. That's not mm-hmm. going to happen in an NCAA tournament, especially when you have one of your players you is not. seven foot four. Like, and people are yeah. hanging on Zach Eadie day in, day out. So, yeah. All the time. All so the time. It's just, it's not going to happen in a tournament setting. And people are saying this is, you know, part of the reason there's not Big Ten success in the tournament. It's because you're playing two different styles. And you have to learn a new style on the fly. Like, it makes sense, and there's merit to it, but... There's merit to it, but I'm not mm. sure I buy it. Uh, I, I don't know that I believe how games are officiated has caused the Big Ten to you know not win a national title since 2000 in mm. Michigan State. But uh, I understand the argument. I just don't buy it uh, wholesale like some people do. Right. Um, I think the problem the Big Ten has had is they have not had the elite right. guards. And guards are how you win in the NCAA tournament. I mean, you look at the most recent draft picks, top draft picks, um, you know, most of them have not been, you know, guards from the Big Ten. And, you know, there are exceptions here and there, of course. Uh, but I think generally you see the highest draft picks have been from other conferences. And that's generally how you win in the NCAA tournament. Um, officiating has been bad, but I don't think you can you can solely blame it on that. But either way, I think we both agree. Uh, Shrewsbury made some points uh, that that are accurate, and that Kevin Warren really has to look at trying to fix what is going on with this Big Ten officiating because yeah. it is not. Good. I mean, and it's a double-edged sword too because you see, Zach Eady doesn't it has not faced foul trouble this. Year. He had right. one foul in this game. I believe he had one foul in the Ohio State game. Like, he's not getting – he's not picking up his personal fouls. But at the same point, he's not getting the fouls that you would normally expect to see on him. I mean, anybody who puts two arms on Zach Eady just because he's big, it's still a foul if you put two forearms on him. I mean, mm-hmm. that's in the rule book. So – it's yeah, it's a double-edged sword for sure, but I mean, it's it's a it's a problem we aren't tasked with solving. So that's that's on the Big 10. They just know that we want them yeah. to do something. Yeah, they definitely need to do something for sure. Um so there we go. That is the game against Penn State. Now Purdue is 4 and 1 in conference play, uh tied atop the Big 10 standings and They're solely atop the Big 10 you know, standings now. Oh, is it solely? I, th- I thought we were tied with somebody, but you're probably right. Um, so, you know, Purdue in a very good position uh, to win that 25th. Oh, yeah, I guess we're tied in the loss column, but we do have 
we do have one more uh, one more victory than everyone below us. So I guess you are correct. We're we're all alone. Um, but you know Purdue in a very good position to get that twenty fifth Big Ten championship. And you know if they can play like they have uh, they did in the second half of the uh, Penn State game, it's going to be very tough for folks to beat them Absolutely. going forward. Yep, that's what you strive for. I mean, get back to that Portland essence, which. That game could have been a uh, away game if we're really talking about it because that was in Portland against Gonzaga. Yeah. But <laughs> against Gonzaga, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, I mean per- Purdue's resume at this point it looks pretty good. We had um new rankings came out today. Purdue wound up at number 3, uh dropped from number 1, so they're behind Houston and Kansas. Personally, if I had a vote, um I would I mean, if I'm taking my bias out of it, I'd probably put Kansas number one, Purdue number two. Um, I'm not. I'm not saying Houston is not a good team, but I don't think they have the resume, and I don't think the rest. The rest of their schedule is just charm and soft. So I think they may stay up at number one for quite a while here. Yeah, it's the same argument why we saw in football Tennessee was number one at one point in the college football rankings. It's Different, different, right. different methods. At the end of the day, if you get a one seed, I don't think Houston's gonna choose a location in Columbus that Purdue would end up wanting. So, <laughs> yeah, I probably think we'll be not. okay. Yeah, I think so too. So, you know, Purdue, Purdue is sitting pretty. I took a look. Um, I went ahead and logged into Ken Palm as we were talking. Purdue currently sits at sixth place. Uh, in Ken Palm, above them are uh, I'm just going to go in order here: Houston, Tennessee, UConn, UCLA, and Kansas. So uh, there you go. And Purdue opponent Ohio State is 12th. Uh, Purdue opponent Gonzaga 13th, and Marquette 15th, Rutgers 16th. So that is a pretty good cluster of opponents right there that Purdue has has taken on. Uh, Duke is the next one down at 24. So. Uh, Shows you just how tough Purdue's schedule has been up until this point. And that even though Purdue lost to Rutgers, that is not a bad loss. Even though it did occur at home and you, you always want to win it at home, defend your home court. But uh, I think Rutgers, they're a very good team. They're going to surprise a lot of people as the season goes on. But, uh, you know, we from this point on, Purdue is rooting for everybody uh, in any game who can help them win a Big Ten championship. Um you know, however that may be. I think I've told this story on the on the pod before, but I remember uh, a few years ago. I well, a few years ago. I think it was back when I was still at Purdue. Um, we saw Wisconsin and IU playing, and Wisconsin ended up beating IU on a banked in and shot with just a few seconds left in the game. And of course, I celebrated because I you know love seeing IU lose. And then at the end of the at the end of the season, Wisconsin had only lost, I believe, two games. Uh, Purdue beat them twice, uh, and Purdue lost, I believe, three games on the season in the conference. And so, if Wisconsin had missed that shot, Purdue would have had a share mm-hmm. of the Big Ten title. So you just, it's so hard to decide what what uh, outcome is better for Purdue this early in the year. Uh, but we just want to make sure everybody near the top of the Big Ten has some losses, and Purdue just needs mm-hmm. to take care of business. For sure. I mean, you win out, you yeah. win the Big Ten. So that's what we'll strive for. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I would love – and I somebody talked about this on, on one of the message boards. I can't remember if it was ours or somebody else's. Uh, might have been a Twitter thread um, that 
I think the the best record somebody has had in conference play since they went to twenty games is uh, sixteen okay. and four. So no one has had better than sixteen and four in the Big Ten once they turn to twenty games. So uh, it, Purdue, even if they lose three more games, likely would still be able to win the conference. So that is just something to keep in mind as we go through this grind of a yeah. Big Ten. Yeah, and and Purdue next in action. Coming up on Friday uh, against Nebraska, this will be the second meeting between the two because if you'll recall, uh, Purdue went on the road in uh, early December, went into overtime against Nebraska, came away with a 65-62 to victory. Um, Ryan, do you think this is going to be another close game or do you think Purdue uh, playing a little better, maybe shooting the ball a little better, will be able to handle this game a little better since it is in Mackey Arena, and the students will be in attendance. Yeah, I, I mean, believe. conventional wisdom says absolutely, but pessimism of a sports fan says just be wary of every game. <laughs> no game is given. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is interesting being a Purdue fan. You know, you're you're optimistic about the future, but you're snake bitten, and you're waiting for that other shoe to drop at all times. So, uh, we're we're trying to stay positive. It's been you know one of the more entertaining years that I can recall. So uh, Purdue currently sits atop the Big Ten, number three in the country. You know, what a time to be alive. Um, We're going to be back middle of the week, uh, we hope, and I'm going to check in with Drew and see if he can come on to talk about the the recent recruiting class since we do only have, uh, since we'll have no games to cover in the meantime. Um, so if we can, if we can get that coordinated, that would be great. Give you a look into the most recent recruiting class and the first one signed, uh, by new Boilermaker head coach, Ryan Walters. Look for that the middle of the week, uh, for Ryan and myself. Thank you for listening till next time. Boiler up.